We've all heard of that place, quote unquote, the community. High in the mountains, maybe California or Oregon. The food is organic. The people are smiling and helpful. It's the perfect size. There's lots of old houses to fix up. Winter isn't so bad. During the summer, the days are sunny and the nights are cool. It's too remote for the rich to move in with their million dollar homes. Just the perfect place. Well, I found it and they call it Shambhala. We're gonna talk about it in podcast 1059, the Bob Davis Podcasts. So in this podcast, we're gonna talk about sustainable communities. And I'll tell you about a community. Now, this of course is a big city, St. Paul. But I remember when I first moved to St. Paul, we used to say good old St. Paul, big time Minneapolis, right? And St. Paul is such a small town that is a big town. So if you live in St. Paul or Minneapolis, I'm gonna mention one of St. Paul's venerable businesses, Ryan Plumbing and Heating. They've been in business for 70 years. So if you're in St. Paul or Minneapolis and you have problems with heating or cooling or plumbing problems, you know you want reliable service. That means Ryan Plumbing and Heating. They're in St. Paul, been there for 70 years, 651-224-4771. In Minneapolis, you call 612-927-6488. Quality replacement and repair of all plumbing, heating, and air conditioning systems, residential and business. I've been telling you about them. I've been telling you that uh, there's not too much that uh, you can have happen with those systems that Ryan hasn't seen, whether it's a business or a home. And they're really focusing on trying to help people save money by updating a lot of of these elements. Because a lot of houses in St. Paul are over 100 years old, same in Minneapolis to a degree. And you'd be surprised how much money you can save with more efficient systems, whether it's toilets or plumbing. Again, Ryan Plumbing and Heating in St. Paul. Check them out online at ryanplumbing.com or click on their banner at the top of the page at thebobdavispodcast.com. The road to Shambhala started out in Flagstaff. And rather than go up 89, if you'll recall, in podcast uh, 1058, I talked about how they'd closed 89 North. They had 180 closed for a while, but then they opened 180. And because of the fire, the one I talked about in podcast 1058, it got much bigger. So I was forced to basically head for uh, and ultimately through the Grand Canyon. And it's funny because... One of the great things about nomad life is you, you really, I don't want to say that there's no objective because that isn't really a fair representation. Usually we're headed somewhere to do something. But I was actually, I wouldn't say that I was ticked off, but I felt frustrated because I was like, now I got to go through the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and I got up there and, you know, the Grand Canyon is amazing. And I thought to myself, you know, there are people who have never seen the Grand Canyon. And they probably have thought all their life, boy, one of these days, I'd like to see the Grand Canyon. And here I am basically irritated that I have to go through the Grand Canyon. So I did stop and I did see the people taking selfies and it is a beautiful place. And I actually bought myself a new Grand Canyon coffee cup because I had a huge Arizona coffee cup. I could literally pour a pot of coffee into this Arizona cup and you know, I broke the handle off at one point, and finally it just broke, so I had to get a new coffee cup. So the trip up uh, through the Grand Canyon was uh, was really something, and something to be grateful for instead of being ticked off that you had to, that you had to go up there. Also, camped out in a B 
BLM site that was really spectacular. Just absolutely isolated, nobody there, great roads in and out. And visually, that's the road to Shambhala. So the road to Shambhala took me through the Navajo Nation. Oddly enough, it's weird now. Uh, I've been out west enough that occasionally I'll go, I've been here before. Oh yeah, I remember this place, except I came from the other direction. So on through the Navajo Nation to Colorado. And let me just say, in the summer, you know, I'm not a big fan of winter. I'm not a big fan of snow. I try to stay away from snow and cold weather just because it's hazardous, especially in the mountains. So I'd rather stay in the Southwest where it's dry and warm most of the winter. But in summer, Colorado, wow. So I drove up through the Navajo Nation into um, the Colorado. There's a couple of different uh, uh, reservations there, Native American reservations or nations. And then after I uh, got fueled up and headed on up north through Cortez, I entered the San Juan National Forest, the San Juan Mountains. And it is really something. Uh, Just an incredibly picturesque experience, and it really made me reconnect with why I love being on the road to begin with. Silverton, Colorado, a mining town, Ure, or Ore, uh, which is how it's pronounced. All the mountain and mining towns through here, still plenty of room for refugees from modern life. And then I got to Shambhala. Now, that is not the name of this place, but they actually call it that, and there's a couple of reasons for it. My understanding from conversations is, and this is probably somewhat convoluted, but how do I say this? So you guys have heard of the crystal skulls, which are thousands of years old, apparently. There are 13 of them, and one of them is in Shambhala. And so that's why they call it Shambhala, because one of these crystal skulls is up in those mountains somewhere. And it's a mining town, an old mining town. The mine is still active. I think it's a coal mine. And when I was talking to the people in Shambhala, they said, do not tell people about our town. And do not tell people that aren't cool about our town. So I said, okay, I'm going to call it Shambhala because it really is. And it speaks to the greater issue of creating community. Whether it is the nomad community, where people say, oh, I I love being a nomad because there's a nomad community. Or a community of RV life people or van life people or a community of Mormons, or a community of Amish, or a community of, uh, I don't know, some ethnic group, Germans, Mexicans, uh, you know, uh, whatever, a mining community, or any kind of community that pulls together. There's a huge interest in creating community these days. There's a lot of literature about it. There are a lot of procedures about it, and it's all about sustainability, it's all about cooperation, it's all about sharing. And this community, Shambhala, seems to have all those things. It also has elements of the other world, and then of course there's other towns down the road that are more, uh, shall we say, normal. Now I've seen small towns across the country. I've seen small towns in Wisconsin. Uh, I've seen, and I've seen small towns in places like Wisconsin try to develop 
this kind of thing and they really never really get it going. There's a health food store in town or there's a, uh, you know, a farm to table restaurant, but it's, it's, they never really fully accomplish this vision of uh, a sustainable, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, collective community in the structure of a small town that we've all become familiar with, that we grew up with, that we know. Small town America, right? So transfer the idea of small town America to basically uh, a bunch of hippies, for lack of a better term, and I'm sure they would think that was derogatory. It's not. It's it's just to give you an idea visually of, of what I'm talking about. A group of people who are fully committed to this idea of community that people in back in the world uh, are so significantly interested in and really it's a demographic it, 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 you know and I'm going to talk about that in the second half of this podcast quickly let me mention that uh, one of the things I greatly appreciate in my traveling is of course donations to the Bob Davis podcasts if you want to make a donation because you like the podcast you want to support what I'm doing I really appreciate it. The donations go right in the tank now more than ever. <laughs> go to thebobdavispodcast.com. Look down the right-hand side of the page for the picture of Mobile Podcast Command. Click on the big yellow donate button underneath it, and that'll take you to PayPal, and you're on your way. I don't do the other stuff. I just do PayPal. Really appreciate your donations, and I got a whole bunch of them that I've got to mention. I, I don't have that list in front of me right now, but next podcast, I'll get to that. And of course, the best way to help is to subscribe to the Bob Davis Podcast at iTunes. It's available on Spotify, podmn.com. Also, um, Google Podcasts and the Amazon platform, which includes Alexa and audible.com. So you can pretty much get the podcast anywhere you do a, a search. You'll find the Bob Davis Podcast on iTunes as well as these other sources. And thanks for listening and donating to thebobdavispodcast.com. So we're here in Shambhala, Colorado, an old mining town. That's all I'm going to tell you. The people in Shambhala have asked me not to tell people the name of the town because they don't want to grow beyond a manageable level. There's anywhere between 1,200 and 2,000 people in this town. Let's just say that. And if you're a baby boomer, you might not really fully understand this. And I'm. this is an observation that I've made about demographics. One of the things I've noticed about older millennials, so would be the millennials that were born in the mid to late 80s, early 90s. So these are, or even further back, uh, an older generation from the millennials, but not baby boomers and not Gen X, if you will. I don't like all these demographic uh, classifications. I use them just to set the stage, sort of set the table so you can fully visualize because I don't, ha- this isn't video. And if it was video, it wouldn't be any good because the picture I'm painting for you in your mind is far more compelling than any video that I could show you. But if you're a baby boomer of a certain sociographic uh group, you're going to struggle to understand this. And why do I say that? Because baby boomers, especially these days, they're aging. They have grown up in a capitalist uh, structure. They've, uh, they've acquired some resources. They remember the hippie days, maybe. 
and uh, especially, uh, oddly enough, the older baby boomers who who really embraced the hippie thing back in uh, 1965 through 70, 71, 72, and then they became the yuppies, if you'll recall. So those baby boomers have acquired vast resources. They're fully committed to um, the suburban or the urban world today. I think it's very hard for them to sort of harken back and fully understand the idea of a small town that is a sustainable community. So they have a tendency to look askance at um, these kinds. Well, you know, uh, we tried that when we were kids. and Yeah, it's great. What I see are people uh, raising their kids, cooperating, working together, and uh, getting an outcome that seems to work for them. So if, so, so if you're invested in a certain type of outcome, you're not going to fully understand this. But I will say that millennials, as I said, slightly older, but also uh, some of the younger ones as well, have actually been working on and are perhaps obsessed with the idea of building a community. Now, when I say this, I'm talking about physical, soulful, spiritual construct. A place where all are welcome, where the overarching idea is cooperation, teamwork, friendship, respect. It's not communism, it's not collectivism, or anything like that. People have jobs, you know, people work together, they're working on construction projects, or they're working at the grocery store, or they're working one town down, or they're working at the mine. But there's an approach to cooperation that I see here in Shambhala, which is why they call it the Shambhala. We've got community kitchens, uh, really great public events. There's a couple of Waldorf-based schools. There's a, a puppet show, which we're, we're, we're experiencing right now for the little kids, and I guess also for the parents. There's a lot of um, organic or sustainable farms that people go to get raw milk or, uh, you know, organic vegetables. You, there's a lot of farm-to-table stuff. The community kitchens really interest me because be, really interest me because because I love to eat, and so on one night it's Thai, on the next night it's um, you know Middle East. But there's a couple of places where they do community kitchen, and then they'll show up at this place, and you go in, and they serve until they're done. So if you don't get there at five o'clock, you don't get your food. So there's a lot of that, and then. It's not all like 23-year-old, 24-year-old, 25-year-old. It's, there's a lot of middle-aged people, and I would say 40s and slightly younger, that are really invested in this idea. One of the things I noticed is uh, there's a lot of trade for service. So people, uh, in fact, I heard a conversation at one of the community restaurants, which is what happens is, Groups of people will go there and they'll cook. And people come and they you pay. It's a restaurant. But the cooks that particular night are serving a particular kind of, of food. They also do food for newborns. I'm here visiting friends and uh, they just had a baby. So they are, people are bringing them food a couple times a week. 
because they have a newborn and that will continue for I don't know five six seven eight weeks whatever it is and then they do that for other people who are having newborns but there's a lot of trade for service so one of the conversations I ever heard at one of these restaurants was uh, the guy was like hey how you doing you know of course it's more like hey how you doing <laughs> what do you want to do do you want to trade or do you want to pay and he was like no let's trade so obviously those two had some deal that they were trading for some service that they had and the other thing i noticed even at the puppet show here uh, you know the men will gather and it's a networking opportunity so back in the world we have formal business networking and we have linkedin and we have all these things that formalize business networking and here it's the puppet show or it's the community event where everybody gets together and and you know they're networking they're saying hey have you heard about this or do you know about that or have you talked to this guy that's trying to do this or that or the other thing so it's a it, it, there's also a business networking kind of thing going on but it's not as far as i can see formalized now maybe there is a formal business network uh, going on around there but it brings up a lot of questions about life back in the world it brings up a lot of questions about uh what the structure of our life is going to look like in communities going forward one of the things i've done a lot of work on and I think it's very interesting. And it's, again, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to travel without restriction because I would never have come upon this community and seen uh, what's going on here and been able to talk about it had I not had the opportunity to travel consistently. Let me grab a sip of coffee. And by the way, the town has lots of health food stores. There's lots of holistic health stuff going on. So, uh, my friend's daughter had her baby in the house. There's midwives, all of that. So, it's a full gamut of what might be considered, um, a quote-unquote, an alternative lifestyle. But I've thought for a long time, with technology and with the tools that we have today, it's possible that the Jeffersonian ideal of America, which was largely rural and dispersed, could potentially uh, come into fruition. In other words, small communities where the focus is on government at the smallest level or community at the smallest level and not at the highest level. We've, we've had several generations in America of people focused on Washington, D.C. or focused on the state capitol. The thing about these communities is they focus on each other, they focus on the local community. And the idea is that it's sustainable now these aren't the first sustainable communities in america you know the mormons came out to this part of the world a uh, hundred years ago or more actually 150 100 almost 160 years ago and they whatever you may think about mormons they carved out uh, a community that they made more sustainable whatever you may think about the mormons you know, they accomplished this sustainable community and enlarged it. It's just that you have to, uh, I think, to, to really understand it, you have to accept the, you have to be part of what is either, well, in that case, it's a religious community. Sometimes it's an ideological community. The other question is, in terms of sustainability, with a small community that is focused on community, and, and again, if, if you're of a certain age, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're older, this is something that you really don't fully understand because 
Again, what I've witnessed with certain people of a certain age, so younger adults, is this idea, this focus, this almost, this almost um, soulful image of literally Shambhala in their minds. This community where everyone gets along, everyone greets you with a smile. Uh, There's no judgments. Any one can be there and be uh, appreciated for who they are and we trade we share we help we sell to each other we network and there are again there's literature for that there's uh, ideas for that one of those is a, is a book written in back in the 70s called small is beautiful do you need to grow a business that's massive is that Necessary now. If you're a capitalist, you're going to say, "Why should I limit myself?" And I, I accept that, and I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Which leads me to my next question, which is: So here's this sustainable community called Shambhala. It's up in the mountains. It's beautiful. It's clean. The air is fresh. Everyone smiles. Uh, the park is beautiful. Uh, you know, the community kitchens serve delicious food. Um, the food is organic. Uh, you know, I could go on and on. But there's a mine that employs a number of people in high-paying mine jobs. You know, uh, they're not... Today, most of the mining is uh, heavy machinery. And those guys get paid a lot. So the mining community is is here, and the people work who work in the mines get paid pretty good. So is it possible to have a sustainable community without a sustainable community coexisting with the existing, you know, highly... Uh, some would say rapacious capitalist ideal. Now, I'm a capitalist, so I, I, I don't necessarily have a problem, and I'm not so sure that I've been able to answer the question. If you took it, if you, if you imagined it as a bullseye, and in the bullseye is the sustainable community, and the rings, the outer rings are varying degrees, and structures of, you know, typical capitalist stuff. You know, the grocery stores, the, uh, the coffee stores, the mines, you know, the factories. If you take away the outer rings, does the sustainability, does the sustainable community survive? I don't know if that's a question that that anybody in Shambhala talks about or even cares about. So if somebody works at the mine, they work at the mine. They, They can still participate in what's going on. And finally, is this question of ideological orientation. So if you come to a place like Shambhala, and you are part of this community of people who uh, are celebrating uh, the solstice. They don't celebrate Christmas, they celebrate solstice. And they have sustainable uh, food and they worship the earth, basically. Let's just put it that way. So they're animistic in, in that sense. The animals, the earth, the outdoors, all of that. If you come to this community and you're basically uh, a person who has always believed you're an entrepreneur so you like to start companies and you like to grow companies and you like to make money right is that does that mean that you can't be part of this ideological community is this community and i, I should really ask it as a question is this community is it required to be ideologically part of this community I would ask with the sustainable community, does it require that the girls wear sundresses and the boys, you know, have work pants and everybody's a carpenter and, <laughs> you know, we have puppet shows and things of that nature. And I'm making a joke about it because 
I, I deeply respect it. I'm not trying to, to judge. I'm asking whether sustainable communities like Shambhala would be accepting of people who may not have the same ideas, the same uh, visual presentation. They might have different ideas about things. Would they still be accepted into the sustainable community? But I will tell you, having said all of that, it's pretty great. Uh, being able to get delicious Thai food, you know, for 20 bucks, 15 bucks a plate, or uh, see the puppet show and see kids just uh, being kids and, and all of that is pretty cool. And I know there's religious sustainable communities. I know that some suburban communities can be somewhat like this. But I, I, I report on it because Shambhala represents something I feel is a trend with people of a certain age in this, in this country that are ready to get away from. The, uh, the, how can I put it? Because I feel it when I'm in the community, back in, back in the, the world, so to speak. The intensity and the stress the both people working jobs, paying for a house that's five, six hundred thousand dollars, that you're just a middle class person and you have to have two incomes to support it and somebody's got to get these kids to their hockey games and do all these things. Uh, and, and at the same time, we're paying more and more for gas and it's like a vice. It feels like when you're in those communities, it feels like a vice. And so many questions come to mind uh, with this subject because it is a great feeling to be in this community but I will tell you so for people of a certain age that have financial resources they come out here to Colorado and Montana and they'll buy a piece of property they don't care what it what it costs and they'll build a house that's worth a million dollars or half a million dollars without even batting an eye those people are not necessarily welcome in a community like this. That's why they say, don't tell people about this community, because one of the things these days is you've got all these people who are retiring with all this money, and they're you know, pushing property values up, moving to old mining towns in Colorado and Montana, and old farm towns and, and old ranching towns like that. Because they think it's kitschy and cool, and uh, they don't, I don't think they fully realize this is a community of people that this is their town, right? So they, this particular group in Shambhala is resistant to the idea of seeing property values bid up by very wealthy people. The good news is that with the mine uh, and with the shape of the mountains around Shambhala, it's, there's not a lot of room for expansion. So hopefully what they can do is achieve this sustainability and grow within the town without growing the town, this culture that uh, I'm talking about. And again, my other question is, do you have to subscribe politically to all of it? Because there's, there's a lot of direction to, uh, if you think of it as an arrow and in particular sociographic direction, you know, don't eat junk food. We don't want junk food. We, we want to consume organic food. We want to, we, we want alternative medicine. We don't want all the things we're rejecting. A lot of the, the, this movement to me is rejecting the things 
that we have come to associate with the modern world, better living through chemistries, let's say. This is a throwback to we'll do it ourselves, we'll fix it and keep using it, um, which is kind of cool. Uh, the idea of we'll make do together, we'll work this out, we can, we can do this without having to incorporate all of the, uh, the view of, of the, the so-called, you know, the back in the world thing. Now, everyone has Wi-Fi, right? They all use computers, they all use those kinds of tools to get information and to share information. But it's a concerted effort to live a certain way. So if you move to a community like this and you don't want to live like that, well, that's a question of whether or not it's become an ideological situation where you're expected to live in a certain way, and if you don't adhere to that, then you're not going to, you're going to be basically rejected. You're going to be shunned because that's also, to me, that's, that's kind of uh, an anathema to the philosophy of everyone is welcome, just what kinds of people are welcome. And I ask those as questions. I'm not making judgments. These are the things I wonder about. I think the idea of sustainable communities, better food, cleaner air, cleaner water, focusing on those things, cooperation, etc. I think there's some real, I think this is an idea that has legs, but in order to function, People have to understand, you don't go into a community like that and build a million-dollar home, and there's no fudge shop. So that's the other thing, and I'll just close with this. When you travel the West, you go to a lot of communities that are, uh, Sedona is a great example, that used to be a quote-unquote sustainable community. It used to be a community of a certain type of people, uh, and then it grew and grew and grew until now it's just... Everything from Olive Garden to um, the sustainable, you know, farm-to-table restaurant and fudge shops and more fudge shops and turquoise shops and expensive art and all the things that come with the trappings of wealth that people who are bored (laughs) seem to want. Even when you go to places like Silverton, there's the fudge shop and there's the, 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 the gourmet uh, candy place and things of that nature. This community that I'm talking about, Shambhala, doesn't have any of those things. It's very focused on, you know, providing very basic services and cooperation in the community. You find the sumptuous uh, result in the community and not there's no, you know, you don't walk downtown and shop for jewelry and uh, things of that nature. It's it's definitely a mining and a farm town, and it still is. And to me, that's the charm of it. That's what makes Shambhala, Shambhala. Finally, let's talk about something that is sustainable. If you are uh, an HR person, if you are handling personnel, if you have a business with a lot of people in an office, and they're chained to Zoom or they're chained to the desk and you want to get better productivity out of those people. This is the big thing now, is doing things to help your workers do a better job and to be more productive. There's nothing better than getting them stretched, getting them uh, into their bodies, getting them more aware and getting them to breathe. And that is what BU Enterprises is all about. BU offers a toolbox via Zoom or FaceTime or modern technology to help people at their desks uh, breathe, stretch, 
get some exercise, and they can help your group be more productive. All you have to do is click on the banner at the top of the page of the BobDavisPodcast.com that takes you to BU Enterprises page. If you enter BOB, you can get a discount for group. Uh, and they do a great job. BU Enterprises or visit them at BU Enterprises, B E Y O U B U Enterprises.com. And thanks, Juliet, for sponsoring the Bob Davis Podcasts. Well, I can already feel Shambhala trying to pull me in as I, you know, pack up my stuff and get ready to leave. I've overstayed my welcome here in Shambhala with the new baby and everything. So I'm headed uh, north and uh, north to even more adventure as we head into summer driving heading to you know kind of bombing around colorado gonna head over to utah and we'll see what happens after that thanks for listening to bob davis podcasts live from shambhala podcast 1059 the bob davis podcasts (laughs) wash away my troubles wash away my pain with the rain and shambhala Wash away my soul